and the purpose of Death Cafe is to um, understand that our lives are finite and uh, we're not going to be around forever. So being in touch with the fact that we are going to die at some point will make us appreciate more of life. Um, and a lot of people, um, you know, we, we always encourage the, the hosts to um, present our guidelines at the beginning and, the, you know, remembering that our lives are finite is one of them. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. Many of my clients tell me that they're stretched too thin with too many demands upon them. They are just worn out. In my brand new webinar, I teach simple and sensible habits that will significantly improve your life now and help you age with vibrance and resilience. But it's important to start now. Don't wait until your body's distress signals go from a whisper to a scream. If you followed me at all, you know I'm not about restrictive diets or boot camps. I believe life can be challenging enough. Let's appreciate our bodies and minds for the miraculous systems they are and take the time to take care of ourselves. Self-care pays big dividends now and in the future. And being well ourselves is the only way we can help those we love. And if you sign up now, I will send you my super zestful aging checklist, which I designed so you have clear guidelines right at your fingertips. The webinar is free. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Today, we are speaking with Jules Barsky from Death Cafe. She's the sister of John Underwood, who co-founded the Death Cafe and died an untimely death himself. Death Cafes have spread quickly across Europe, North America, and the world. As of today, they are offered in 63 countries. Rather than being morbid, Jules describes a death cafe as a safe place to talk about a taboo subject. And now I'd like to introduce Jules Barsky of the Death Cafe movement. Welcome to the show, Jules. Hi. Thank Hi. you for having me. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about the, uh, the story, how Death Cafe came to be? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so it was uh, created by my brother, John Underwood, in London in 2011. Um, he previously worked for Tower Hamlets Council, which is a, a district in London, um, doing something completely unrelated. And because of his Buddhist studies, he started to be really interested in death and dying um, mm. and the, the finiteness of our lives. So. Um, John created an environment where um, people could come together to discuss death and dying um, in a safe environment with tea and cake. Tea and cake. Mm -hmm. And how was it 
received? Were people initially um, a little put off or did it feel like people had been kind of waiting for an invitation like this one? Uh, a bit of a mixed bag, really. Um, so the, the first few people that came to Death Cafe were um, people that knew John already and knew that he was quite quirky. Um, but, um, you know, we've had quite a few people who, um, you know, they really embrace it. We've got people who are in the death and dying industry already who kind of are used to that um, immersiveness. And then there are some people who are interested in attending because they uh, kind of have this morbid, even just a kind of sense of a morbid curiosity. Um, and then there are some people who think that it's kind of some sort of a cult. Um, <laughs> Um, so, you know, the name Death Cafe, I think, puts some people off, but um, we were very conscious that we wanted to make it, you know, we wanted to be true to the fact that, you know, we are discussing death and dying, we're not discussing anything, we're not kind of skirting around the houses, we're really getting down to the core subject. So, it sounds like you're saying that people come with different agendas, everyone is interested in death, but maybe for different reasons? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I think we have to be careful with the word agenda because um, the, the Death Cafe guidelines state that there will be no agenda at a Death Cafe. So um, just to kind of sidestep that a little bit, they have different purposes, I suppose, for attending. So we suggest that Death Cafe isn't attended by those people who are in the white hot heat of grief. Um, purely because it might be a little bit too much for them to discuss death at this time. Um, and there are some people who've never been bereaved or maybe they have thanatophobia, i.e. they are scared of their own death. Um, yeah, and some people who are, you know, just kind of bystanders and don't necessarily contribute an awful lot to the conversation, but just want to start that thinking maybe in their mind. I see. So there's definitely parameters mm -hmm. um, in which this is a place to discuss death and dying, but you have to be in a particular mindset, perhaps. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are some people who have been personally there dying who have attended Death Cafe. In fact, one of the first attendees that attended John's, um, he, uh, sorry, she was she was um, kind of in the final stages of cancer and I think died maybe six months or so afterwards. Um, but, you know, because we're not a support group or a bereavement group, mm. sometimes I think that the lines can be crossed a little bit too much and, you know, we don't want to make other participants feel uncomfortable, but equally it needs to be a safe environment for that person. And, you know, are we ensure that our facilitators and our hosts are... Um, they have the, the places where they can signpost people to where they need to go. Um, but then they're not always qualified to provide them with support that they might need at difficult times in their lives. Aha, uh -huh, I see. So just really clear about the limits, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. of what you offer, that it's a, it's a safe place and mm -hmm. there are resources that people can be referred to, but that's not the function Precisely, yes. I see. And how does the tea and cake figure into this? <laughs> um, so the idea behind the tea and cake is that it is something really nourishing and um, 
John described it as being a little bit naughty, like a midnight feast, because you're discussing this really taboo subject, but you're doing it with something really fulfilling and enjoyable. Um, so putting your hands around a nice warm cup of tea, um, that can just make you feel, you know, comfortable and comforted. Sure. And do these go on at different cafes, actual cafes that are established in town and they've invited you in? Or how, how does this work in terms of where do you show up? Um, so we have um, different hosts decide to host to, to hold their death cafes in different places. So um, John's initial death cafe that took place in his dining room in his home in Hackney in London. Um, and some places um, will some people go to a coffee shop and hold it there. Um, some people, there's a death cafe in New York that go to a Moroccan restaurant. So they don't have the, the original tea and cake, but they have lovely Moroccan food. Um, I held one in Santa Barbara in a vegan cafe. So we had vegan cakes and sandwiches. Um, so yeah, it really varies, you know, I had somebody recently say that they wanted to host a death cafe, but they didn't want to have tea and cake. They wanted to go to a health food place and have kombucha and like <laughs> spirulina balls. <laughs> mm -hmm. I see. And what, pe what do people say is their experience of doing this, of speaking about death, of asking and, and, and sharing some of these thoughts and and maybe concerns how, how do they describe the experience um again that really varies some people um come most people come out and they really enjoyed it um you know the only times when i've in fact heard reports of people not enjoying it is if there's been something wrong with the logistics of you know where the where it's been held mm -hmm. um but you know there are reports of there being a lot of laughter and um just kind of and the purpose of Death Cafe is to um, understand that our lives are finite and uh, we're not going to be around forever. So being in touch with the fact that we are going to die at some point will make us appreciate more of life. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people, um, you know, we we always encourage the, the hosts to um, present our guidelines at the beginning and, the, you know, remembering that our lives are finite is one of them. So I think that that's probably at the back of people's minds when they're having these conversations and and the general feedback that we get is that people you know that that objective is fulfilled mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, i'm wondering whether um the environment has because we've gone into this um cultural aspect of pretending we're not going to die and if we have enough vitamins and omegas mm -hmm. and kubacha you mm -hmm. know we'll we won't die um i wonder if that's what made this really needed um if we had been as a cultural as a society as a western society more clear bringing the bodies, seeing the bodies, interacting with the bodies, that maybe we wouldn't need a death cafe as much. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I heard something about that recently, um, about the fact that previously people would be faced with the, their dead. Um, you know, that would be part of their ritual of day-to-day -day life. 
Um, and you'd see bodies going down the streets and, you know, 200 odd years ago, that would be kind of normal practice. Um, whereas mm. it's all very much hidden from us now in um, hospitals and what have you. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, because people are so much in denial mm. of the fact that, um, that they are going to die, um, that's probably where it came from. And in Buddhism, there is the, you know, Buddhists are encouraged to meditate every day on the fact that they're going to die in the dying process. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, they're very much, that's very much in their consciousness. So I suppose there's an element of, you know, people hiding from it and um, going through the kind of goji berry kombucha festival. Um, and um, just kind of culture and, you know, we're kept very busy nowadays, aren't we? Um, and our lives are about hoarding things and getting more, you know, everybody wants to accumulate. Um, and the more things we have around us and, the, you know, the more high tech we are, the more kind of in control we feel. And that's essentially to get away from the fact that we're not in control of the fact that we're going to die at some point. That That's going to stop. So there's this philosophy about it. There's maybe a spiritual aspect, but this became very personal for you. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, is this in relation to um, to John? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, yeah, John um, very suddenly died in uh, 2017. So around 18 months ago, um, <clears throat> it was very unexpected. Um, he had a rare form of leukemia and um, a brain hemorrhage, which, um, you know, it was, we weren't able to do anything. So he collapsed on a Sunday and um, the following Tuesday he was, he was dead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's very ironic, really, um, when he was deva devoting his life to death and dying projects. And, uh, you know, he was only 44 years old when he died. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been a it's been a very tumultuous kind of eighteen months for us. Um, and you've decided to take over his work. Is that is that correct? Um, he asked me actually um, in twenty fifteen. He we were working on um, a project for the Real Death Cafe, which he was hoping to set up in London. And I think during that process, it kind of it made him think. Um, about the future of you know what what's going to happen if I'm not here anymore he's going to take over this enormous enterprise if that's what it's become um and so he said to Jules you know if I were to die would you take over and I found the email he was still in hospital at the time you know 18 months ago um so yeah it was on his request really and um my mum helps she um she moderates the website now and then his wife Donna she um, runs the Twitter page and then we have our friend Megan who runs the Facebook and then I do the rest. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you think being a part of uh, the Death Cafe and the philosophy and the understandings has helped you in mourning the loss of your brother? Um, I've been asked this a few times actually. I think um, you know so many people know John from a death cafe element you know he was quite famous in the in the death and dying industry but for me uh, it was a much more rounded and holistic you know I've lost a person I've not just lost this 
person who was part of Death Cafe. And um, so it's kind of, it, it, I suppose, helping to run Death Cafe and feeling like I'm kind of channeling him in a way to, mm. to provide the same level. I mean, I don't think that I'm anywhere near um, as um, kind of, I don't know as much about the subject and that I'm not able to dedicate as much of my time to it as he was. Um, but, you know, from that aspect, yes. Um, but I don't think that I, you know, there's nothing that's ever going to prepare you and, and make losing somebody that you're close to okay. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there was part of you that just wanted to be left alone to mourn your brother and not have to pick up that additional responsibility. Yeah, um, I think probably in the immediate aftermath of his death, I still had people contacting me <laughs> saying, my death cafe hasn't gone online. I don't know why this has happened. And um, mm. very, very kindly, Megan stepped in, who runs our Facebook page. And she was saying, listen, John's just died. The family are trying to get to. I didn't even know how to do anything on the website at that point. And this person kind of came back and said, well, that's all very well and good, but I still want my death cafe to go live. Um, So I think it was almost like I needed that, to be honest, um, to kind of understand that this, um, you know, what I'm experiencing, there are things out there that are greater and more needing than my immediate grief. And it gave me, I suppose, you know, going back to your other question, um, it has provided me with something to focus on. I don't think the philosophies necessarily have helped me with the grief. They've maybe helped me with my own mortality. Um, but, um, you know, this uh, doing the work that I do for Death Cafe has just kind of reinvigorated um, how proud I am of what John's been able to achieve and all of the people that have been supportive, you know, it's been it's been so wonderful to see so many people who are so admiring of the work that he he did and um, you know still are and still are benefiting from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who have been touched by him and his mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And you also, am I right that you volunteer at hospice? Yes, I do every fortnight. Well, what's that like? Um, it's interesting. I've never been, I mean, I've worked with John since um, he started Death Cafe on the kind of administrative side of Death Cafe. I've never been involved in the kind of practical side of death and dying, really. Um, You know, I was there when John died, but that was my first experience of Mm. being around a person who was dying and and who died. Um, And I think it's interesting and I can see how there is a segregation between the medical profession and the emotional side of death and dying um, because for them it's very much a kind of day-to-day um, what's the word I'm looking for kind of process yeah it's very process driven and you know there was um, because I only go in every fortnight I'll see different people there and I'll ask also oh, what happened to this person and I'll say oh yeah that person passed away mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't really mean anything to them. And because I spend a little bit of time with the patients and um, with their families, 
you know, you see these people who just want to chat and there was a man in there who is telling me about his mother who he hadn't imagined would be in a hospice, you know, she'd recently been transferred and he was crying and, um, you know, really upset. And the nurses were kind of around and, you know, they're very lovely, but weren't providing the same, um, you know, they didn't have the time because for them, for them it's, it's different. They see this all of the time, people are in and out. Um, whereas for me, it was a kind of new thing. And, um, you know, it, it reminded me of that grief and the immediacy of, of having somebody in front of you dying and not understanding the process and, um, you know, not really knowing what's going to happen next. Is this person going to stay there? Are they going to, you know, it made me think about it in a very different way. And is this, how shall I say, it, you feel as though this experience of volunteering, this is motivated by what in you? What, what brings you there? Um, I wanted to get, I felt like it was quite hypocritical of me to be running Death Cafe without any personal experience of death and dying um, from the kind of medical side mm-hmm. um, and that you know there are a lot of um, facilitators and people who work with Death Cafe who are in the death and dying profession so um, I wanted to be able to speak to them from a place where I you know I'm never going to understand um, what it's like to work in the industry day in day out but at least I can gain a slight understanding of it um, and maybe, you know, there are going to be some people who are in the hospice at some point who want to talk to me about death and dying, and I'm going to maybe be able to provide them with a different, mm. um, a different aspect than the medical staff. I don't know. And has it changed your view on death and dying now that you've had, um, that you've actually been there, you've seen it, you're you're in the trenches, so to speak. Um, I think it made, you know, I've been seriously ill before um, and it reminded me of that when, which I think that you forget about when you are kind of taken out of that, you can, you know, when you see it vicariously, you can put yourself back in that position where you were there mm-hmm. and the amount of control that you lose Um, at the end of life and I think kind of putting in place a plan or certainly providing yourself whilst with the consciousness that you need to be able to accept that you're dying at the time. I think that, um, you know, that's what Death Cafe is all about is, you know, thinking at some point I'm not going to be here anymore and, um, you know, mentally preparing yourself is going to be maybe, I mean, there's no guarantee, but maybe it will be just that slight less amount terrifying mm-hmm. uh, when it happens. If you've put yourself in a position where you, you've not just been hiding from the fact that you are going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that there have been some friendships that have been formed at the Death Cafe. Oh. You mean between... Um, yes participants yes um you know I don't see that much of it and I know that certainly we've formed this really wonderful community and there are a lot of people that know each other as a result of being hosts um but 
you know, the stuff that I see on a day-to-day basis is more kind of general reports about what people talked about or, um, you know, what were the experiences of the participants, but I don't know an enormous amount about, you know, friendships or romances that have come out as a result of it. I hope that that's happened. Yeah, it's, I mean, you talk about a vulnerable kind of conversation, you Mm. know, which tends to bring people closer to, you know, addressing fears and, and, and worries. But I think that there is part of that is um, discussing it with strangers, because knowing that you're not necessarily going to see these people again, Mm -hmm. um, there's almost a, a safety in that. I see, I see. What do you hope um, comes of the Death Cafe just in sort of the big picture? Where would you like to see it grow? Um, At the moment, uh, the last time that I checked, we were in 56 countries. Um, And, you know, seeing that number grow year on year, um, Mm -hmm. that's always delightful. And uh, speaking to people who are taking it into areas where it's maybe a little bit more taboo um you know and where the cultures are different and we can share more experiences and um kind of diversify our network um and uh, you know kind of short term um translating the death cafe guidelines into different languages to enable that to happen and i've you know i'm working with a few people at the moment um who are translating it into spanish and german um, somebody's asked me about translating the guidelines into Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anyone listening who would like to translate it into another language, you're more than welcome. Please come and let me know. Yeah, get in touch. Um, you know, it's it's difficult um, for me in a way because I work full time in addition to doing Death Cafe. And as much as I would like to develop it and you know put together a, a strategic plan, that can be quite difficult when my time and resources so limited. Um, so, you know, I'm trying my best <laughs> to uh, to move it forward, but it has to be very incremental. Um, and John did this full time. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the, it's not um, moving forward as quickly as it did when he was holding the reins. I see. Yeah, that, of course, that makes sense. Um, how do people typically learn about it? Um, we... Um, I've featured in quite a lot of news articles, some of them good, some of them bad. Uh-huh. Um, there was a guy from Fox News, Alex Jones, is that the right person, I think? Uh, I wouldn't know, that's not my channel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. And did he not appreciate Death Cafe? <laughs> he, was, he was one of the people that thought Death Cafe was a cult um, and encouraging oh. people to go out and commit suicide, um, oh. <laughs> which it absolutely isn't. But, you know, they say no press is uh, bad press. So if people were encouraged to uh, look up Death Cafe and find out that it wasn't a cult, right. you know, that can only be a good thing. Um, you know, after John's death, um, he was... Um, there were articles printed about him in the New York Times and the Washington Post and um, the BBC, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that was, you know, before and after he died. So we've had a lot of media coverage. Um, yeah. I tend to kind of, this is one of the first podcasts that I've done. I tend to kind of defer this stuff to my mum. 
because <laughs> um, I feel a little bit uncomfortable under the spotlight at the moment. I feel like I've got a long way to go before I know anywhere near enough to represent Death Cafe effectively. So um, I'm hoping people bear with me. <laughs> mm, well, you're doing just fine. So did the did Fox actually interview you, or they just no. discovered you and made their own assumptions? No, I think they they just saw the, saw the words Death Cafe and then decided mm. to create a story about it. Um, you know, I believe that's common practice. Um, not that I'm critiquing Fox, I know nothing about them really. I just know what they said about Death Cafe, which was hilarious. Mm -hmm. mm. So you're getting this publicity and mm. that's wonderful, but uh, do, do um, physicians or healthcare people know mm. about you or is that just kind of two separate worlds? No, we actually um, have been contacted. Um, there's been an article in Palliative Care magazine over in the UK recently. Um, in fact, it may have been just at the end of last year or early this year that it was um, released, um, where there was um, a group of uh, medical professionals who got together and um, talked about death and dying in a death cafe environment. Um, and, you know, it's becoming more commonplace, actually, for them to be held within medical professions because you know, we think that our doctors and nurses um, have been given exposure in terms of how to treat people and speak to patients and their families about death and dying, but it turns out that it's it's still very, for want of a better word, medicalised. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're not necessarily talking about the emotional side of things and it's very kind of hardline and pragmatic. And I'm sure there are many people out there who have, have kind of got that right balance between medical and emotional um, but I think this, the environment that's being created by people who, in the medical profession who are doing facilitating death cafes for this, um, you know, this network, it's uh, is really important in changing the language and and you know palliative care in general. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, that's been my experience too. I've heard physicians talk about it's a real conflict for them because. You know, at, at what cost do we keep the body alive? And mm -hmm. what's the value of life? What's the quality of life? And if some of this stuff hasn't been sorted out, you're in the hospital room and everybody is emotional. It's the worst possible time to make decisions mm -hmm. if it hasn't been talked about previously. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. There is um, um, a medical doctor who did a TED talk and he, I'm trying to remember the name of his institution, but it's, um, I think he's located in Brazil. Um, and there was a network of Latin American countries um, that um, were all holding it. I think they called it the Death Cafe Massive or something like that. So on this particular date, there were death cafes held all across these countries at exactly the same time. Um, and his uh, TED talk speaks about the fact that um, you know you have this kind of white coat syndrome and you know you've, you've put all of this trust and faith into your doctor um, and there needs to be a massive movement to um, to help people to understand physicians and otherwise to help them understand how better to communicate with their patients and, and prepare mm. them for these sorts of decisions. And of course, more and more relevant since the entire world is aging. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, 
going to become much more of an issue for all of us as we're, you know, getting older and um, it's something that has to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Our aging population is growing enormously. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners about Death Cafe and how um, being a participant might be beneficial for them? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, even if you feel like you may be a shy person and you don't want to necessarily speak to a wide group of people, you should go find a Death Cafe near you and participate as little or as much as you want. Um, You know, there are principles that we won't lead anybody to any agenda um, or course of action. Um, It's just a safe space to discuss anything that you want to in terms of death or dying. There'll be no promotion of any products. Um, Mm. We just want to give people this safe space. Mm. Um, And you can find out where to go to your nearest death cafe by visiting our website, which is deathcafe.com. That was my next question, deathcafe.com. And that is for people also in the States? Yes, yeah, it's one website for everyone. Yeah, John built it so that it could be, it's got um, every country listed that we have ever had death cafes in. Um, And we've got a nice map there so you can see which ones are closest to you. That's that's lovely. And um, if somebody wants to host their own Death Cafe, they would be able to find out how on deathcafe.com? Yeah, it's actually deathcafe.com forward slash how. And uh, (laughs) all of our guidelines are written there. um, And they're written in really easy um, language. um, And I think they're in there in French as well. That's that's wonderful. Jules, I so appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy. You have your full-time job. You have your volunteer job. You're trying to pick up the reins here. And um, I, I just really appreciate you sharing this with us. I think our listeners will will really appreciate this and benefit from it. And I'm looking forward to putting it up on the podcast. No, I'm really grateful for you having me and thank you for bearing with me whilst I, uh, whilst I try to stumble through what I'm doing. <laughs> that, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash Zestful Aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.